Please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. And we're looking at the first two verses tonight. Isaiah 53, verse 1 and 2. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. If you've ever heard of Victor, you probably recognize him more by his last name. The creation is known more than the creator in this case. He suffered a tragedy, as the story goes, and he wanted to do something good, so he wanted to take something lifeless and give it life. And, and so he took items and that were without life, and he went searching for them. He went to the slaughterhouses, the graveyards, steal those materials that he needed that were lifeless, that he might have a creation and give it life. He put them all together, and that's exactly what he did. He had a lifeless monster that he brought to life. He did it. And we know this monster by the name Frankenstein. Something that Victor didn't realize was that he had created a beast. And this creation of his turned on him. So Victor became the victim. Frankenstein became a monster because he took the life that was given to him and he used it for something else, for his own purposes for what he had in mind. And God gave Israel life. But for many Jews, their lives became nothing short of monstrous because they rebelled and they rejected and they refused to believe. And they used their lives for something other than they were created for and they were purposed for. Isaiah is writing to Israel about Christ and that Christ is no doubt the Messiah and they have failed to see this, which brings quite a tragic failure. These words are quoted in the Gospels and they're quoted to the Jews connecting Christ as the Messiah. But there was the tragedy of unbelief. And what makes things so much more terrible 
about the unbelief of the Jews is their clear opportunity to see and to become aware that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. And so with that thought, let us look here in verse 1 and let us look at the venue for belief that they had. Now last week we were in verses 13 through 15. We shared those three verses and we considered Christ. We considered His service. We considered His suffering. And, And so... Upon considering Christ here, we flow right into chapter 53 and we come. That created quite a venue for Israel to believe. One of them is about God's truth, and another is about God's toil. Look at the first question where he writes after talking about Christ and he goes on in chapter 53 and he says, Who hath believed our report? Aren't you thankful that you heard the report of Jesus Christ and His truth? Isn't it wonderful to know God's truth? God's truth which endureth to all generations, which shall not pass away, which does not return void. The power of the Word of God is evident. Faith came to you and I that we might believe on the Lord Jesus because of the Word. The Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word contains the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a great opportunity for the world to believe. To be able to believe by reading or by hearing the gospel truth of God. Now the Jews heard the news. They heard it over and over. Yet they did not believe. They wouldn't believe God's truth. They suffered from unbelief. But we not only have a question about God's truth here, we have a question concerning God's toil. It says, And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? This has to do with the mighty work of God. The Jews saw the miraculous, wondrous works of God and saw them over and over. And we still see God's work and and God's arm at work today. We see God's work in the life of others. I remember seeing the power of God moving in someone's life and seeing lives filled with God and I knew mine was empty. I didn't know why and I didn't know what theirs was filled with, but I knew I didn't have it. And it was the mighty, powerful work of God in the lives of His people. works that I saw God doing in the lives of people, not knowing what it was, it was drawing me, drawing me as I drew attention to lives who God occupied those lives of. 
I saw lives changed by the Lord, and it made me see my need. The Jews witnessed the mighty works of God over and over, but they rejected Him. They were without excuse for rejecting Him. The 59th chapter in the 10th verse of this book says, We grope as if we had no eyes. The Jews, as well as the unbelieving today, are without excuse. What a terrible thing to have. Such a venue of the power of God, the truth of God, the works of God, and to be in unbelief. The 19th Psalm in the first verse says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Nature is preaching a sermon to those who do not believe. All are without excuse. Because of nature, Romans 1.20 is saying that those who do not believe are without excuse. And the verse says this, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What a venue for belief in the power of God and in God's nature. His power in all the wondrous things He's done and the power in the lives of His people. It's a venue that all of the unbelieving might believe. But Israel did not believe in that day. And there are the unbelievers in this day and time as well in spite of His mighty, wondrous works. But let's look at their issue with their unbelief. There's a reasoning that Isaiah is giving in prophecy for their unbelief. It's, it's not to justify them. They are indeed without excuse, but Isaiah points out their condition by the things that he says. And the first thing we're going to see in their view of unbelief is that their reasoning was worldly. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. You might think the Messiah would be more fitly named by one of these giant cedars. You know, the giant sequoia cedar or the mountain ash, or any other tree that's as tall as a football field is long. That's what the Jews had in mind. That's what the Jews wanted in a leader. They wanted the physical. They wanted things superficial on the surface for a leader. The Jews didn't think that someone so lowly could be their king. They did not want a meek appearance in a leader. They wanted a majestic aura to a leader. They were looking for someone more cosmopolitan. They weren't looking for a carpenter to be the one who led them. The Jews wanted someone regal, someone maybe that would have servants all around them and following them. When Jesus Christ... 
He made himself a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Uh, to be of no reputation, to be obedient unto death, the death of the cross, that he might serve and save the people from their sins, that, they, that he might serve in the mission that God had for him. They want, the Jews wanted someone to save them from their physical enemy. And Jesus came to save them from their spiritual enemy. You know, the problem of the mankind still goes on and on. Man either wants to be God or man wants a God who will fit their lifestyle. And God is never going to fill that position for anyone. God is a transformer of life. He is not a conformer to one's life and what they want their God to be. God is not changing. So the people would build a golden calf in, in days of old and, and that would be their God. is in their mind and whatever they make up about their about their life and their desires their God is okay with it human nature has never improved and there is still worldly reasoning about God today but we not only see reason reasoning that is worldly concerning their unbelief but a religion that was worldly. Verse 2, again, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. You know, God controls the weather and he lets it rain on the just and on the unjust. He shows his goodness to all. But God can also withhold his blessings and he will do so because of sin. And with Israel, that is exactly what God did. The nation of Israel, they were as dry as they could be. At the, and along comes Jesus. You know, you ask a farmer if any crops will grow when there's no rain. And they will tell you it would take a miracle for that to happen. And everything was dried up for Israel. Their worship was dry. It consisted of formalism and tradition instead of faith and truth. God's judgment was upon them. They were dry and they were dead. Their religion was lifeless, yet... Jesus came as a miracle. The one with living water came along. The one who had a miraculous birth. The one who was muted for many years, if you will. We don't know a lot. We don't know anything about many of those mid-years of Jesus. But then came His earthly ministry. And the one God called to pave the way in John the Baptist, who heralded the message, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But Jesus was never socially popular. 
during his silent years, then all of a sudden, Jesus is declared the Savior of the people. But the Jews turned their nose up. The Jews turned away from Jesus, and most of them didn't receive him. The Bible says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Their religion was worldly. But we not only see that, but we see that their reckoning was worldly at the end of verse 2. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should. I was at the Villa's ministry years ago. Remember the names Annie Paxton and Ora Lee, and they were sitting at a table together. And I don't know what kind of Bible Annie had, but there is there was what someone would call a portrait or a picture of Jesus on one of the pages in her Bible. And she turned her Bible sideways to Oralee and she said, there's Jesus. And Oralee said, honey, have you ever seen Jesus? Good answer. We haven't seen Jesus. It would be better if there were no portraits, if there were no one trying to catch his likeness on canvas because he has never been captured on canvas. We don't know what he looks like. It would be better if anything that were considered a picture of him home. His true features are not known. But we do know something of his features. We do know something about him by, by this verse. And that is that there is not one thing appealing about his looks. No one would have him model their clothes. And no one would have him to be the mayor in their town. He didn't fit the picture for people in this world and what people would like in this world. For the Jews, he didn't fit the picture. Their reckoning of what a leader was like was very worldly. The beauty of Jesus is not on the outside. His beauty is on the inside. We don't really use that saying much anymore. It was used in a sarcastic way a lot, but there's truth to it that we see. You know, it's kind of a superficial, shallow world where, where we don't look past the outside to the inside. We can so easily judge someone by the outside. When there is something beautiful inside someone that many people are missing, the beauty of Jesus is within. It's not about his physical person and what he looked like. It's about who Jesus is. But those who were lacking spiritually couldn't see it. They wanted to see someone come in in a parade to be their leader. They didn't have the spiritual eyes of faith to see that the parade was going on in heaven when the Son obeyed the Father's command and He came to this earth to save His people from their sin.
Jews wanted a king. They couldn't see through spiritual eyes who Jesus was. So instead of praising Him with honor and worshiping Him in all of His glory, they nailed Him to a cross and they suspended Him in the air because of their unbelief. You know, the Jews weren't the only ones without belief, though. There are those, even today, many who are in unbelief. What would people do with Jesus today? Unbelief is a terrible thing. It's terrible because there's such a venue for belief. But there's so many that fit the description that Isaiah is bringing out here concerning Israel and their unbelief. And we don't want to stop on something like that. So let us consider the vaccine for unbelief. There's a message for people today that comes from this message that I... ...the death and the doom of unbelief. And as for the unbeliever today, oh, may the unbeliever just look around and stop looking a different way at this world they're in today. Just look around presently as never before and see the decay and the corruption that sin brings. The emptiness and the no doubt lack of peace in the life that unbelief brings. The lack of opening one's heart to the gospel truth that they might be filled. What a good vaccine for unbelief. One would just step back and look at the terrible sin that is in this world. There is such a lack of love and affection today. It's so dangerous to go anywhere today. And it's because of sin in this world. It's so unsafe in this world because of sin. And the unbeliever would even agree with you about it in many ways. But the very thing that they would complain about is their sentence to hell. And their, their message, their sentencing in an eternity away from God. It's the entrapment of sin that is the cause of everything we see going on in the world today that is so repulsive. If the unbeliever would just take a look around, look around presently and look to the future. To the unbeliever who may be listening online or or who knows, in the service tonight. You'd like to think that everyone's saved in a Sunday night service. And just when I want to think something like that, I remember Ed. Of course, Ed wasn't here at this church, but Ed was someone I knew that he went to church every Sunday morning. Little country church, I knew about the church. And so I thought I was passing a believer all the time. We didn't have deep conversation, but I'd look at him and and I would be just thrilled to see a brother in Christ and say good morning. When all of a sudden we had a talk one day, and, and Ed thought, 
if you're a pretty good person, there's no way God will keep you out of heaven. He said, I, I, I base it on, I know I'm a good person and I do good things. And I said, well, what about what your church teaches every Sunday morning when you're there? And he said, well, you can't believe everything you hear. Unbelief is, is covered up, it's cloaked, it's, it's a tragedy. And if one would look to the future, aside from all of the things that they try to imagine, and to ask the question, where is this rejection of Jesus Christ taking me? Many try to falsify things in their mind and and have the delusion that they're going to be okay without Christ. And I ask, what if you're wrong? What if that one is wrong in, in that? That is a big deal. I watch a detective show on TV, and I always try to figure out who the bad guy is before they do. And every now and then I'm right. When it's a rerun, I'm always right. But, but I'm wrong sometimes. I've got the wrong person for the bad guy. And I realize it by the end of a new episode. There's not a lot of harm in that. There, there, there's no harm in being wrong in that at all. It hasn't done a bit of damage. But oh, the devastation of being wrong in unbelief about one truly wants to afford. It's losing the presence of God for eternity. As Lord and Savior. That will not be forgiven after this life. Jesus has power on earth to forgive sins. It is here by faith that one must believe. Consider the future for unbelief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And what if you're wrong about that? One must look to the future for this vaccine for unbelief. But also, I would say, look within now. And make sure that there's more than knowledge about Jesus Christ. One can have knowledge of Jesus' pre-existence, His miraculous birth, His life on this earth that He lived so righteously, His death, His burial, His resurrection. They can know about the, 400, the, the 40 days on this earth with the 500 witnesses that saw Him and then His ascension into heaven and even have the knowledge that He's coming back for His people one day. But, and knowledge is good. Knowledge leads us to an understanding of Christ and to faith in Christ. But knowledge alone will not save anyone. We must make sure that there's more than knowledge of Christ. Because just knowledge does not mean saving faith. It does not mean one is born again. Is all your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life tonight. You know, when I think about James, the brother of Jesus, 
I call him the half-brother of Jesus because James's dad was Joseph and Jesus's was the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, all his childhood with the Son of God, and he knew there was something spiritual about him, but yet he didn't believe until after his resurrection. So you might understand through the book of James where he says, you say you have faith, whatever, but I'll show you I have faith by my works. One must be sure that they have faith. Saving faith shows. Saving faith is a working faith. Saving faith changes us. If one claims to believe, but what they believe hasn't changed their life, it's time to reevaluate what one believes. You can hear it in some people by what they say that they have faith in faith. Oh, yes, I believe. And it stops right there. They never say what they believe. They just want to be content with the fact that they believe. But faith in faith doesn't work. Our faith is only as good as what it's in. And you can have all the faith in the world that you're going to be able to get across. Our faith People claim faith, people claim they believe, and they're really still in this devastation of unbelief. One man I know told me he'd be, that I'd be happy to know that he no longer has an atheistic view through science of God. And he believes in God as creator. I told him I wasn't very happy because it stopped right there and it wasn't going to be any difference for him. Because he didn't believe in the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. It speaks of those who will have their part in the lake of fire. And it speaks of the fearful. It speaks of the abominable, the murderers the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. And I, I left out one to come back to it on purpose. The unbelieving, the unbelieving shall have their part in the lake of fire. The unbelieving who dance all around religion are going to have their part in the lake of fire. The unbelieving who occupy the church pews are going to have their part in the lake of fire. As Isaiah speaks to the unbelief of the Jews and of the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah, may every one of our hearts be examined, self-examined tonight for unbelief. The unbeliever doesn't want to pay that price for their unbelief. But I say to the believer tonight also, you know you're saved, 
You know you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Lord and Savior. You do not struggle with the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and you've personally received Him. You have no battle within you about the fact that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world successfully, that He was buried and He was raised again. He defeated everyone's sins and He could save everyone. But believer, there may be an issue with some unbelief tonight. Unbelief that your needs are going to be met. Maybe unbelief that God is working all things out for good. Oh, would you cherish His truth tonight? Would you count your many blessings? Would you read His promises? Would you embrace them? Would you be refreshed and restored from doubt and unbelief? If He spared not His only Son, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things. Oh, we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. But oh, how that unbelief tries to creep back in on something so, small, so much smaller than the salvation that He provided for all of us. May we take our struggles to the Word of God that we might be encouraged and lifted up by the promises that God has made to us. God who cannot lie, who does not treat a promise as we have. He does not break any one of His promises. It's a devastating unbelief, even for the believer. Because when we are in unbelief about these things in our lives, we can't live to the glory of God. We can't live in the way that He wants us to live. Let us consider His Word. Let us consider His great works tonight. Nolan led us in a song. I guess I'm going to hear a song from someone who's led music for 57 years that I haven't heard before. And maybe I've heard it. But I want to close with reading these words. God will take care of you. Be not dismayed, whatever betide. Beneath His wings of love abide. Through days of toil, when heart doth fail, when dangers fierce, your path assail. No matter what may be the test, lean weary one upon His breast. God will take care of you God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. What a praise to sing to Him and to believe His promise for His people as well. That no matter what we're going through on a daily basis... He'll take us out of that unbelief. There's a vaccine for unbelief, and it's in His promise. And again tonight, if there's one who is unsure and doubting about salvation, you are suffering from unbelief, the good news is God doesn't want you to. 
And God wants to give you peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember that. I remember going from hostility and enmity with God to peace with God. And it was all about His Son. I didn't have to get ready. I didn't have to get any better. I could be the old wretched sinner I was, but come to Him willing to turn from my sin, realizing I could do nothing for myself, and that Jesus would save me. And He did just that. And He will do the same for you tonight. Is there one here tonight who's struggling in unbelief concerning the security and the peace and the complete salvation that God gives? Jesus said on the cross that it's finished. It's finished for you. It's something you couldn't start or finish on your own. It's resting in Jesus Christ. And if there be one here tonight who does not have peace in the saving grace of God, we pray you would trust Him tonight that God has revealed to you your struggle with unbelief. It can be no more. We're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer and trust that you'll do business with God. For the unsaved here tonight, that you might be saved for the child of God, that you would realize the overcomer you can be over your unbelief of the smaller things that He promises to take care of after having defeated all of our sins for us. Let us pray.